You are listening to the IFH Podcast Network. For more amazing filmmaking and screenwriting podcasts, just go to ifhpodcastnetwork.com. Welcome to the Bulletproof Screenwriting Podcast, episode number 261. The best education in film is to make one. Stanley Kubrick. Broadcasting from a dark, windowless room in Hollywood, when we really should be working on that next draft. It's the Bulletproof Screenwriting Podcast, showing you the craft and business of screenwriting while teaching you how to make your screenplay bulletproof. And here's your host, Alex Ferrari. Welcome, welcome to another episode of the Bulletproof Screenwriting Podcast. I am your humble host, Alex Ferrari. Now, today's show is sponsored by Bulletproof Script Coverage. Now, unlike other script coverage services, Bulletproof Script Coverage actually focuses on the kind of project you are and the goals of the project you are. So we actually break it down by three categories, micro-budget, indie film market, and studio film. There's no reason to get coverage from a reader that's used to reading tentpole movies when your movie's going to be done for $100,000. And we wanted to focus on that at Bulletproof Script Coverage. Our readers have worked with Marvel Studios, CAA, WME, NBC, HBO, Disney, Scott Free, Warner Brothers, The Blacklist, and many, many more. So if you need your screenplay or TV script covered by professional readers, head on over to CoverMyScreenplay.com. Have you ever wanted to learn from a Hollywood blockbuster screenwriter or even an Oscar winner? Well, I wanted to put together a free three-day screenwriting video series taught by legendary screenwriters, David Goyer, from who wrote The Dark Knight, Nia Valdouris, who wrote the Big Fat Greek Wedding, Oscar-winning Callie Corey, who wrote Thelma and Louise, and Oscar winner Paul Haggis, who wrote Casino Royale. If you want access to this free class, head over to bulletproofscreenwriting.tv forward slash free. Now, today on the show, we have director Peter Bershai, who made the movie Rapid Eye Movement. Now, one of the reasons why I wanted to bring him on the show is because how he made it. He shot a film in one of the busiest places on the planet, Times Square in New York City. He literally set up right in the middle of Times Square with permission from the film office in New York City. And I wanted him on the show because I had a thousand questions about how he was able to not only do this, but like, how about all the faces of people in the in the public that are going to be around because there's just tourists everywhere, um, how he was able to get sound, how he was able to work with his actors, how he did the whole thing. I mean, he was there for a handful of days shooting uh, major parts of his film. And uh, he did not disappoint. Peter came in and talked all about how he did it because I thought I had an experience shooting at the Sundance Film Festival with you know crowds and crowds of thousands that I couldn't, control but this is a whole other level i mean he's in a very confined small area times square is not a monstrous place if you've been there it's not like five or six seven eight nine blocks you know where he was shooting was literally in the middle of times square so i wanted him on the show to kind of pick his brain on how he did this because i know a lot of filmmakers out there want to make um, low budget or micro budget films and a lot of the questions we're going to answer in this episode will help you on your journey. So without any further ado, please enjoy my conversation with director Peter Bershai. I'd like to welcome to the show Peter Bershai, man. Thank you for being on the show, brother. It's a pleasure. I'm very excited to be here. Thank you. Oh, man. Thanks for, for coming on. And 
you reached out and and told me about uh, this insane movie that you've done. Yeah. And when well, I, we, we had to hustle to make it. This is what it's all about. So who better to go to than the, the master of hustling? <laughs> I appreciate that. <laughs> no, we're, we're going to get into a rapid eye movement, which is your movie, yeah. uh, because anytime I, I, I invite a guest on, it's generally because I want to ask some questions that I want some answers to. And uh, you definitely have, you, you checked off those boxes without Good. question. Yeah, yeah. So before we get started, man, how did you get into the business? Okay. Well, I mean, it started when, like a lot of filmmakers, I was 12, 13 in love with movies and made the small movies with uh, whatever technology was available kind of thing. And went to film school in Toronto, uh, came from Canada originally. And, um, and that was okay, you know, but, uh, I got out of film school undergrad and, uh, and, uh, tried to make my own films. Didn't do so great at it in the first year or two. And then I said, you know, I need to just get into the business somehow. Um, uh, and, and, uh, learn, I still needed to learn. So I wound up going to the UK actually. I wound up kind of being mentored by a guy over there who is, um, kind of a, sort of the under the radar script uh, doctor. And uh, he had this little boutique company out there and, and invited me to join their team. And for a few years, I was develop, I was on this team doing what we called script clinics. And, and filmmakers, directors, writers, producers from all over the world would come to this, this uh, beautiful English estate and hole up for three days in this converted barn and they would come and they would take this. We would take their screenplays and, and, you know, they had been developing for a long time, having a lot of trouble. They came to us because they had trouble. They couldn't solve their problems. And we would this little team of four of us would would deconstruct the thing and, and you know, and, and rebuild it. And it was an amazing. So while doing this, uh, I was also learning at the same time. You learn by doing, you know, and and uh, so that that taught me a lot about about. Uh, story structure and um, and I was kind of like the resident brainstormer, you know. I'd kind of like, what about this? What about what about this? And, and that sounds amazing. And, and it, I want to go. Was, oh yes, absolutely. <laughs> I, w- I would like to resurrect it here because it's it w- it's an amazing, you know. Because inevitably, inevitably, the first day people would come very reluctantly. You know, they were there because they had in their mind had failed at some level, mm-hmm. right? They just mm-hmm. couldn't get the script past a certain point. They couldn't get the right finance and they couldn't get the right act, whatever. And, and usually they were sent by whatever company was, was uh, paying for the script. And they would come really, really against their will, you know, and say, who are you people telling me what to do? Kind of, you know, that was the sort of subtext, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, by the end of the first day, it was kind of like, okay, yeah, you know, maybe, yeah, okay, let's talk, let's talk kind of thing. Second day, they'd be, all right, this is, okay, let's go. That's more, more, more. You know? By the end of the third, they didn't want to leave because it just was this incredible thing, you know? So it, it, there's the, the, and I think because we approached it from the perspective of service, you know, we're here mm-hmm. to serve you. We're not here to tell you what to do. We're not here to, we're here to tell us what your vision is and let's make it work. Let's, let's work together and let's serve you. How can we serve you, you know? And by bringing in, and that was fantastic. So I took what I what I those few years learned there, and then I said, you know what, I need to get back to what I really set out to do, which is direct, and uh, make my own films. And that's when I came to New York, and um, and really committed to um, making independent films and writing, spending a few years writing, and and that kind of. I, I still continued a little bit of the consulting on the side, script consulting, but then I went all in for. Then I made the Dueling Accountant, which was my first 
feature indie feature which looks fantastic by the way i saw the trailer yeah, that for was it. a lot it's, of fun it's 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 what is it's basically about an old uh, an old uh, you you tell it better than i yeah do. it's uh about a hung uh, a hungarian 100 year old hungarian multi-billionaire who's on his very last legs and he's at an board meeting he's got two companies bidding for pieces of his company and sitting across this huge boardroom table and he's not interested in their money he says when i was five years old in a little town in Hungary, I saw two men pick up swords and fight a duel. And I said, when I saw that, I knew what the meaning of life was. Life is a duel. And he says to the two companies, you can each pick one man to fight a duel. <laughs> so and brilliant. the winning side can have my entire empire, the whole bloody thing. As he oh, says. that's brilliant. And, yeah. And, and that's his dying wish, right? And uh, he's married to this beautiful, very young sort of gold Shocking. digger. Shocking. Yeah. And, and when she finds, and then she kind of inadvertently meets. So, so one company uh, who has got a lawyer on their team and he thinks this is an opportunity to make a lot of money. And, and he's a very evil kind of guy. And he volunteers immediately. And the hero of our story is this reluctant accountant who has a little bit of stage combat experience. You know, he did some <laughs> Romeo and Juliet in college. So he knows how to handle a sword. So they, they force him into it. And he's like, no. And he's this mild-mannered guy, you know. And and uh, and now he's suddenly drawn into this world of intrigue and adventure. And he meets this beautiful woman uh, when they have this connection. And then we realize this is the wife of the guy, the old billionaire. And when she finds out that he's going to give away the entire empire in this nutty sword duel, now she goes into overdrive. To, to save the money that she wants for herself, right? And of course, you got to have a tribe of gypsies in there who've got a, a blood feud with the billionaire and they have their own reasons for, for wanting to keep the thing. This sounds so fantastic. It, it's great. Yeah, it's a blast. It's a blast. It really is. Really. Now, you shot that movie in New York, correct? That was kind of your first, right. that was your first, first taste of New York. First taste of New York, yeah. Micro budget. We'll be right back after a word from our sponsor. And now back to the show. You know, uh, yeah. What was the budget of that film? That was about a hundred k. Okay. Yeah. 100K okay. And now, how is it shooting in New York? Because I've shot a lot here in LA, and it's it's fun here. Yeah. It's right. you know, there's issues. Yeah. <laughs> they're not, yeah. The red the red carpet is not really laid out for well, us filmmakers here in LA. <laughs> when I did the Julian Accountant, uh, I I knew nothing about filming in New York. Uh, you hear the the immediate the, the the kind of conventional thinking is that well it must be incredibly expensive and you know because you walk down the street of course you see you know all the trucks and and everything uh, lining up for blocks and blocks studio films and TV shows and you think well it must be crazy expensive and then then you dig a little deeper and you find it's the exact opposite so New York City has a um, the film commission which gives the permits for shooting and it's run out of the mayor's office. And they are literally the most filmmaker friendly uh, place to shoot. I mean, it's unbelievable. What people don't even realize is that permits in New York City are free. What? Okay? What? They're free. Yeah. In fact, when I shot the Doing Accountant, it was to like literally free, not a penny. Now it's, it's $300 for the total for everything. It's just an administration fee. Mm -hmm. So you're not going to pay now. Yeah, exactly. For everything. Okay. And not only that, like when we did the Doing Accountant, we wanted to shoot in uh, in the West Village and the you know old cobblestone street and there's a yeah. scene where the where the uh, 
the, this band of gypsies kidnap the accountant, you know, and, and uh, they literally pull up in this 1962 Cadillac and, 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 and they grab him and they throw him in the car and they, and they race off down and burn rubber and all this kind of stuff. Well, guess what? The city closed the entire block down for us. And they, and they put police at one end, at each end of the block. Which you have to pay for, of course. No, nothing. Oh, come nothing. on. I'm not even kidding. I, I, I know. It blew my mind then. It still blows my mind. Okay? You, 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 they, they, they give you police? They give you police. They'll shut it down. They keep the thing organized. Unbelievable. Okay? I know and, people here in LA are listening to this. I know. Like, I mean, like, like in, in LA, you've got to pay the permits to shoot in someone's oh. house, right? Inside someone's house. I mean, it's, it's like- You literally here in LA, if I want to shoot in my own house, yeah. <laughs> you technically need to get a permit. I mean, yeah. and I've actually heard of people yeah. who have been ticketed for shooting inside their own house because a neighbor called. Yeah, yeah. And exactly. I'm like, yeah. and they weren't going crazy. There wasn't like a thousand things going on. It was just like- I know, yeah. Really? And had to go to court, and it's a thing, and yeah, yeah, yeah. oh my God, that's amazing. I, I think a lot of it is just is legacy and, and um, culture. So, I mean, I think, you know, L.A. is historically this, a studio town, right? It's, it's, it was, well, it's it, where it starts. Yeah. It's where it starts, and, and it still is to, to a large extent, even though the, it's a globalized industry now. But, I mean, it, it's, uh, it's that, that mentality is it's a studio, you know, huge conglomerate town kind of thing. New York City has always been the rebel, right? It's 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 right. uh, it's, <laughs> but but somehow the the uh, the city itself has uh, the powers that be have embraced this, and 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 uh, and then of course when we did rap, but I mean that's that's a whole other layer too, which we'll get to. But I mean, so that so so yeah, absolutely. And then so just to go back to your original question, so after I did that, then that was kind of my calling card film, um, and through that I wound up getting the next film, which is called Colors of Heaven, which is originally called uh, A Million Colors, also called Colors of Heaven here, uh, shot in South Africa. And that was a big, I kind of yeah. jumped from the hunt, the micro budget thing to an epic film in South Africa, you know, hired to do that. Um, and I had 800 extras. It was a period piece. It was, uh, you know, 60, 65 location. I mean, it was a huge thing and it was a, a important film for South Africa and, and it was a Canadian South African co-production. And that, that's an, that was an incredible experience. I mean, cause my whole life, you know, that's what I dreamed of doing international epic filmmaking. And then I got to do it, you know, so but how uh, that's, do you a go other, from, that's a whole other story. But yeah. how do you go from a hundred thousand <clears> dollar micro budget comedy basically yeah. to an epic international production in South Africa? Cause I saw the trailer for both. Yeah. And they don't connect. I mean, there's definitely talent there, but they definitely not yeah. something that you would translate into an epic, you know, I was just curious on how yeah. that happened because um, I'm sure everybody else would be curious as well. Yeah. It, it, uh, well, it's a long story, but I mean, essentially I going back to my England experience as a script doctor, right. Mm -hmm. I was this young kid doing this. Right. And, 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 uh, and one of the people that came through, was this producer uh, okay. from South Africa. And he used to be in, in Hollywood back in the 70s, all right? He was, he was the vice president of MGM. You know, he worked with uh, David Lee, who was my hero, and, 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 uh, and Cooper. I mean, it was just incredible. So, and, they, he, and for years, he had been back in South Africa and, and had been out of the film business and was getting back in. And he was going to, and he had this, uh, and so he had this, it was a different script at the time that I was helping them with. And I was like the bad guy, right? Because I was 
I was tearing apart <laughs> the work they had been doing for six years, whatever. And, but then I kind of rebuilt it for them. And what started off as this very contentious relationship in England or in this uh, script uh, setting suddenly became, wow, this kid has actually maybe gave us some hope to, to make this movie kind of thing. So that's how the last, the la- yeah. And the last day, you know, after a fight, after fight, after fight, uh, he was driving, I said, you want to drive me to the airport? I said, sure. And he starts telling me the story about this kid in South Africa at the time I was a kid in the seventies, who was the most famous movie star of the time, a black kid from the townships who was embraced by the entire country, black and white, because of this incredible movie that had come out at the time. It was about the friendship between everybody. And he said, I'm going to, but he has what people don't know is his true life story, which is even more incredible. And he says, one day I'm going to tell that story and I want you to do it. I said, great. <laughs> and we've, and, and, and I know everyone listening has had those conversations with people yeah. throughout like, oh yeah, yeah. One day when I, you know, when I, yeah. I want you to make yeah. this movie about this Iron Man guy because I right. like you. That's I right. like you, kid. You know? <laughs> well, I had proven myself to him on the script side, right? Right, right. And, and but then, but I had to make the Dooley account. I had to show. Uh, a couple of years went by until the the real opportunity, you know, until he was ready to do it, and that became a long process: the financing and the co- oh, international sure. corruption. But yeah, but 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 I had made this movie. Um, and what was most important from the producer's perspective on the dueling accountant was not that it cost a hundred thousand dollars, but that I took a hundred thousand dollars and made it look like a million dollars. And that was, that was the key, right? So, um, so he knew what I could do from a story structure and script perspective, but every, every, it doesn't matter what budget level you work at. Everybody wants your budget to be stretched to the, as far as they can. And I think, that was the goal here. So, so, I, so, but it was an oppor- It was a great opportunity, and uh, it was an incredible. I could write a whole book on making that movie because it was very complicated and, on so many levels. But it was an incredible experience. Yeah, and and I think that's a lesson for people listening: is is if you can if you can always make a dollar look like a hundred dollars, right. then you're always going to have work. I think Robert Rodriguez right. coined that phrase when he was first coming up. He's like, look, I. I'll know I'll always work because I can make things look amazing. So yeah, I'll, I'll yeah. always have a job. And if you're able to do yeah. that, you can bring high production value at low cost. Yeah. Someone's going to hire you. Yeah. I think, you know, filmmakers, we've all got to remember this, which is that the, you know, we think we need tons of money to, to get things to put in the movie. Right. But at the end of the day, the, the, your frame is this big, right? Yep. It's got, it's got edges on it. And it's, it's only what goes inside those edges that, that, uh, are going to determine what it looks like. And it, you can have a lot of resources or very few resources. You're always going to have things like composition and color and location, you know? And if you play those cards, right, you, that's how you kind of take it to the next level. Right. So, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, so that, that was amazing. But, but then after, you know, it was such, it was a five year ordeal to make that movie in South Africa. And we did all the post-production in Canada. And um, I had to fight unbelievable battles <laughs> with – when you're a hired gun, you, then you got you to gotta fight. You know? and even worse. Like, even worse so when you're way a, worse, hi- yeah. way worse. When, yeah, when you're a yeah. hired gun, yeah. When you're a filmmaker, you're always going to have headaches, right? If, if it's your own film that you're in charge of, then you've got the headache of making it successful and making your money back and all that kind of stuff. When you're a hired gun, you've got the headache of – having to fight for your vision and, and, uh, you know, getting everyone else's fingers off, off the thing, because 
we had some epic battles on that. So, and that's a fascinating story, but uh, that's for another time. <laughs> but is it, would you agree though, that every single project is, it's just opportunities for you to gain shrapnel and, yeah. to, and, and to gain scarring and yeah, yeah, yeah. thickening of that. It, it's kind of like almost forging yourself yeah. with Definitely. the fire, with fires of, of, of the, pro, of the, of the projects that you're on and, and, and it's every single project. We'll be right back after a word from our sponsor. And now back to the show. It's every single situation in this business. You, you are chiseled just a little bit tighter, just a yeah. little bit to, to the point where when you're someone like Spielberg, who's been in God knows how many you know battles in his life and, and, and so many projects and also at levels that you and I can't even comprehend – Right, right. You know, you, you know, they walk on set. It's like these old battle-hardened <laughs> generals. Yeah, you know, what I've what I've discovered, I actually discovered this going back to when I was this uh, young script consultant kind of. Guy. You know, it's we had filmmakers come uh, and writers, screenwriters from all over the world, right, uh, including some from Hollywood, some like A-list writer. And I actually found that the bigger they were, the more humble they were. Uh, it was, it was something about, you know, they were in the, had been in the battles for a long time and, and, and they're still trying to make it like anybody else, even though they've, they've got the Oscar nominations and they've got the, the, the mm -hmm. big, big, and it's like, they want to keep getting better, you know, not everybody, but I mean, uh, but it's, but I, overall I found and that was really amazing to me. And I, I remember I, not too long ago, I think it was, it was an Ang Lee had an interview and he said, you know, I'm still learning. I'm, I'm still learning how to, and, and those battle scars you're talking about, that's, what's it about? You got to keep learning and keep getting better because you, every honest filmmaker or, or, or artist in general looks at their work and it's like, nah, I, I could do it better. You know? <laughs> well, as they say, as, I forgot who, I, I, I forgot who said this. I, I forgot. It's a famous artist, but he's like, art is never finished. It's abandoned. Yeah. yeah and yeah, it's, sure. it's, oh, it's man. very, very true. Yeah, now yeah. let's let's talk about your movie Rapid Eye Movement because that's the reason why I invited you on the show. Now yeah. the 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 please tell the audience what the the premise of <clears> this <throat> is, and then we're going to get into how you Godforsaken made this thing. So Rapid Eye Movement is a <clears throat> psychological thriller <clears throat> about a New York radio DJ, Rick Wider, uh, whose job is on the line, his ratings are going down, and he needs to pull off a publicity stunt to uh, to keep himself in the game. And he comes up with an idea to do a sleep deprivation marathon, a wake-a-thon, in a booth in the middle of Times Square, ostensibly to raise money for charity, you know, uh, but he's really out to save his job. And he just very callously picks a disease to raise money for, you know, uh, not realizing that he's that this unleashes the interest of a killer who has a vested interest in finding a cure for this disease. And he tells him, if you don't raise five million dollars in this wakeathon before you fall asleep and break the record, I will kill you. And so now he has the incentive, <laughs> you know, to stay awake as long as he can and to break the record. The only way he can make anywhere near that amount of money is to go all the way, to go the distance. And so the movie is really this, and the record for staying awake, by the way, is 11 days, right? Mm -hmm. 264 hours. So the movie is this kind of odyssey, psychological, physical, mental, and emotional odyssey through this 11 day journey to stay awake against all the odds. <clears throat> and, um, if he doesn't do it successfully, he's going to die. 
at the beginning of the film, I like to say that he's the stakes are for him to save his job. Right. <laughs> by the end of the first by the end of the first act, he gets this in, this life threatening thing from this killer. And now the stakes are raised. He has to save his life. As we enter the third act, he realizes that it's about saving his soul. Stakes are even higher. And because what he goes through in this journey is, is a complete breakdown physically, emotionally, mentally, spiritually. In other words, the complete human experience is just like disintegrating as he's trying to stay awake and has to summon whatever it takes to do this. And, uh, and it's just this wild ride, you know, and, and the fact that it's, it's, I like to say it's a, it's a small movie and a big movie at the same time, because on the one hand, it's, it's a contained thriller, you know, uh, he's in this broadcast booth, uh, but it's in the middle of Times Square and he's got, it's the, we call it the crossroads of the world. And he's surrounded by thousands and thousands of peering eyes, you know, into what he's doing. And it's, it's, uh, it's both intimate and epic at the same time. And that's what I loved about it, you know? So, Okay, so there's a lot to unravel here. Yes, yes. yes. First and foremost, uh, we understand now that the, the the New York Film Commission, they walk on water and they love filmmakers and they just throw yeah. whatever you need at them. But to shoot for so many days on Times Square, which is arguably the biggest area in New York and the busiest area of New York on a daily basis, day in, day out basis, how the hell did that happen? How did you, first of all, how did you get yeah. it to, how did you convince them to okay. go, I need to be, I need to shoot in Times Square for how many days? So the total shooting schedule was 23 days. You didn't shoot and 23 days in Times Square, 20, did you? No, we shot 12 days in, tw- in Times okay. Square. Yeah. Okay. So we had a few other, like, still, yeah. still plenty. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And um, 12 days and, and nights, right? And uh, so, so come back to what I said before. Yes, the permits and everything, you can shoot anywhere in New York pretty much for free and, and, and easily. Right. Um, with times square, there's one proviso there. Okay. If you want to go into times square or like anywhere in New York with a camera and you're handheld and you want to run around and do no problem, you can, you can do that. Right. In our case it was different because we wanted, we had a set and we had to build a set and we wanted the set to exist there. Okay. Mm-hmm. And Times Square is is mostly now uh, pedestrian walkways, right? You've Correct. got you've got Broadway and Seventh Avenue that cut through it, but the rest of it is all this. So there's masses of of, of space for pedestrian. And so my idea was initially, you know, let's put we want we'll we'll put down our booth there, and uh, and shoot for whatever amount of time we needed. Um, and then we went and met with the, the commission, the film commission to, to save us. Right? And the moment we said that, he goes, the moment you put a set down, you put any structure down, okay, then you're not talking about a regular permit. You're talking about $40,000 a day to do right. that. Right, right. Right. And so he said, he said, no. We, you know. Now, let me backtrack a little bit. There's a lot of technical challenges here, right? So the initial, there was, there's three approaches to, to doing this movie, right, which is one is to, and this is kind of the original idea, was we do a little bit of shooting in Times Square, just some exterior stuff, get the wide shots, the mm-hmm. you know, kind of thing. And then we go into a studio and we green screen everything. Sure. Okay. Of course, that has all of its pitfalls, right? And you, it, and it never quite looks the way you want it to look. And there's a lot of, of uh, issues in, in what you can and can't do with uh, reflections and, and, and uh, smoke, I mean, a- atmosphere, anything like that. So then... Um, I began to research using rear projection as an, as an option. Mm-hmm. 
where we'd go into a studio and we would uh, project Times Square uh, behind uh, the booth of glass. And uh, and again, do a little bit of shooting in Times Square. And, and I did tons of research on how to make that work and uh, studied. Uh, the guy really pioneered that the best was Kubrick, 2001, all that stuff. Kubrick and Cameron, Donna yeah. Against, yeah. yeah. Uh, using rear projection techniques, and there's, there's, it's really interesting. Uh, but again, you, your rear projection at that scale works uh, when you're, the backgrounds are not very clear and that kind of thing. When you're dealing with very intricate detail like Times Square, which you want to show all of that, the projection becomes a real nightmare. It's hard just to move the, 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 the parallax when you move the camera. It looks really weird. And so anyways, so then we go to this meeting, okay? We're going to this meeting with the film commission to tell them what we're doing. You always want to go there and just tell them, hey, here's, here's what we're doing. This is the kind of premise we're looking for. And right away, it just shuts down. You you put a set down. You got to get special permission from the Times Square Alliance, which is this company that basically monitor, uh, administers all of Times Square, everything. And uh, any event that takes place there, any any structure, whatever, it's it's they're the ones that are in control of it. The, the the film commission gives the permit, but Times Square Alliance runs the show, right? And they're the ones that say yes or no to everything. And if you put a structure down, big, big money. Then the guy goes, he kind of leans forward and he goes, now listen, um, he goes, you saw Vanilla Sky, right? I go, I go, yeah. Do you remember Vanilla Sky, the Tom Cruise movie? Of course, yeah, they and, shut down and, Times Square. Well, so there's there's two or three shots in that, right? So the famous one where they, sh they shut down Times Square for half an hour, where he takes that Ferrari, Ferrari, and uh, <laughs> and and uh, and the whole thing is they they did it on a Sunday morning, I think from you know they set up at 3 a.m. and they had then at it's the moment the sun came up they shot for like 20 minutes or something like that and they and that was it on a Sunday when there's almost no traffic anyways. Uh, but if you remember, if you go to the end of that scene, then it cuts to Tom Cruise is is kind of got his arms out and he's standing up and the camera does a 360 around mm -hmm. him and he starts to scream right. He goes, he goes, you know what? Tom Cruise was standing on the back of a, of a flatbed truck and they, they had the camera really low. And he said, if you just tilted the camera down, you'd see millions of people in Times Square. They did, he did that all that right there. So he said, if you put your booth on the back of a flatbed truck. We'll be right back after a word from our sponsor. And now back to the show. <laughs> and drive it in. <laughs> Okay, no. not on the pedestrian area, but on the street, then we would technically just need to give you a parking permit. <laughs> and I'm like, what? You've got to be kidding me. <laughs> he told me. He, it was his idea. He told me. This wow. Idea. So now, okay, but now he's thinking when I'm, when we're talking about this, in his mind, it's like we're going to do that for, for one day. You know, we're going we're gonna to right. have the booth, we drive it for one day. Do our, our, and he even said, you know, you, you know, get your wide shots and da da da. And then you go into the studio, do your green screen, and then you got it. Okay, we leave that meeting, right? And I said, what? Let's do the whole movie like that. Of course, of course, like a psychotic filmmaker would. <laughs> right? Why? What do you mean one day? We just drive in and just do the thing? What are you talking about? Let's let's do it. So the next step now is we have to go to the Times Square Alliance because they're the ones that get the permission. Okay, so we set up a meeting. And the guy was amazing, right? He's just like amazing. And so we, we sit we sit there. He's got this like uh, mission control kind of thing of Times Square. He's got monitors everywhere. You can see like every nook and cranny of Times Square, right? That's it's just amazing. like, yeah, cameras everywhere. It's like this huge NASA operation. It's amazing. And, and um, I'm, we're sitting there, my producing partner, and, and it's like uh, we tell him what we're going to do, what we, we want to do. 
going to shoot the whole movie, this thing in Times Square with this booth, and he just starts laughing. He's like, "What are you talking about? This is, <laughs> you can't it's do not, that. You can't do that." I, I, I just thought it was Tom, We, we wouldn't give Tom Cruise that. Why would we <laughs> no, give it no, to you? No, exactly. Tom Cruise had twenty minutes, right? Tom had twenty minutes. Right, right, all right. We need two weeks to do that. Right? Uh, with a set, Tom Cruise didn't even have a set, right? They, right. Just, they just had you just stood there with a camera running around. Okay, so we, so then we start methodically explaining, and by this time we we went in there armed with uh, some of the technical aspects of it, right? And and the, the the pitch to them was that the 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 set is going to be on the back of a truck, flatbed truck. The set itself is going to be have all the lighting is going to be built into the set. Okay, it's going to be self-contained practical lighting. The entire movie is going to be handheld. In other words, the whole operation is going to be on the back of this flatbed truck. And we literally need to drive in and drive out every with day. a parking permit every day or every night. And we're not going to bother anybody. And no one's even going to care. It's, it's like the more, the more we talk about it, he is intrigued. Right? <laughs> he's, intrigued. he's like, what? He says, wait a second. And, and, and he kind of became... Like, I want to see this happen. Yeah, exactly. It's like, can you, can this be, is this really, what this sounds, you know, he thought it was cool. It was the cool factor. Right. And the audacity factor, you know, when you go in there mm-hmm. with some audacity and that's very New York also. In fact, he even told me, he said, you know, he said, look, I don't care if you're Warner brothers or independent film, we treat everybody the same here. Everybody gets the same shot. Right. It's just about making it work. Okay. So then he said, all right. Uh, he says, one thing he says, he didn't say yes right away, but he said, but he's now he's negotiating a little bit, right? And he said, now what we can't do, I can't give you two weeks in a, in a straight shot, right? He says, but he says, but could you do two days at a time, three days at a time here and that kind of thing? And I said, yeah, absolutely. Because we had some other locations like to set up the film and there's the radio station at the beginning mm-hmm, and there's mm-hmm. like a chase at the end. And, sure, sure. and, and, and uh, I said, uh, absolutely, we could do that. He said, all right, um, let's reconvene. I'm going to look at my schedule. <laughs> you look at your dates, you figure out what can work for you and what can't work for you. And let's compare notes in a, in a couple of weeks. Right? So we did, we got back in the same office and he pulls out his calendar. We pull out our calendar and we just made it work the dates. Right. And, um, it just happened. I mean, it literally just wow. happened. Yeah. Wow. And now the funny thing is the word that he used was unprecedented, right? So he said, and he went, and it was unpre- what his it turned out, and he told us this. He said his real concern was not that the, the actual shoot would be disruptive or would, or whatever. Mm-hmm. He was worried that we would be setting a precedent that other oh, filmmakers yeah. would want to take advantage. You know, I was about to say, I'm, I'm I'm already writing a movie in my head. Yeah, 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 exactly. <laughs> right, 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 exactly. <laughs> and uh, I'll see that movie. Yeah, definitely. Exactly. And I love because now I just love Times Square. I mean, Times Square. I feel like it's part of my my blood. You know, I just right. love it so much. Uh, uh, and um, and so, and and the funny thing is, uh, not only did they give us the permission. Oh, by the way, so then he said, uh, I said, well, I'm we still need to get the permits, permits from from the film office, right? So he said, okay, let me let me talk to him. He said, this is our the Times Square landscape. Let me let me talk to him. And uh, so he he had called. He told me later. He said he had called the guy, and he said, okay, yeah, these guys, you know, their plan actually makes a lot of sense. They want to get the do in the truck, and they got it, and they're going to shoot the whole film there. And the guy goes, what? The whole thing. I said they could shoot for a day. Or really, I just, he goes, he goes. Well, no, but it's cool. They can do the whole thing on a truck, and it's like, and uh, and uh, and he said, uh, well, 
says, are you okay with it? He goes, yeah, we're okay with it. He says, okay, I'm okay with it. All right, I'll give him the permits. All right, that's fine. So they just gave us the permits, right? And again, and they and they uh, they moved a few. So what they really did was they 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 shut and they actually shut down part of a traffic lane for us. They they literally just shut it down. Like again, this shutting down, you know. And we had that whole section. Did they have cells. police there the entire time? Well, there's police anyways. That's true. Yeah, it's Times Square. Yeah, it's Times Square. There's there's security everywhere. But uh, when we were setting up initially, they came in and and uh, they were just looking at it and, and they're like, they were "What are you guys supportive. doing?" Yeah, yeah. Was, no, no, they were supportive. They were amazingly supportive. You know, I'll tell you what was the weirdest thing. Here, now this is one of those fluky things. Okay, of course. Now to 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 pull off. So to get the location, to to mm. get the set, and also the set. We should talk about the set because that was also a very particular thing that we needed for sound. Um, but the whole thing was predicated on getting this flatbed, this 12 or 16 foot flatbed truck and building the thing on there. Right, kind of. So we had reserved a flatbed truck way in advance of our shoot, right? And we put the money, we had the whole thing lined up for one of the big rental companies. Two days before the shoot. Of course. There's no truck. Of course. <laughs> like, of course. All right, give us another one. All right, so we, they don't have any. So we go to the next rental company. They don't have any. They go to that. We go. We went to every single rental company, and nothing. They start looking outside of New York, Philadelphia, Baltimore. So we, what we happened? Started, we started doing the whole Eastern Seaboard. There was not a single flatbed truck anywhere. It was like, what is this? Like some kind of cosmic joke that's being played? That's kind right. of thing. And 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 uh, the whole movie was gonna literally fall apart because we couldn't get a stupid truck. Right. I said, that doesn't make it. How can you get all of Times Square, but you can't get a truck? You know, it, it's like it's like Murphy's Law to the to the nth degree kind of thing. Right. But what my one of my partners was just he just was running around every every garage in New York City. He spent those two days and at the last minute he found one, you know, but it was too long. It was longer than it was. It was like an 18 or 20 foot or something like that instead of a because there was a kind of a space between sort of two walkways where we can park the thing right in the, it was literally right in the middle. We had, we, uh, by the way, the guy in the Times Square Alliance guy said, well, you know, where would you want to set the thing up? And he says, well, you tell us, you know, what's the best for you. No, no, no. You just, just give me, just tell me if you could shoot anywhere into where would you be? I said, we'd be right on this corner, you know, right here, you know, Broadway and 44th, you know, right in front of the ABC studios where they do good morning America. Mm-hmm. Cause that gives you the whole, the entire 360 of, of Times Square, you know, and, he's, and that's what we got. We got that. But there was a kind of a narrow space between the the walkways. We thought we, we probably thought we couldn't block those until so we get this one truck, you know, and it was too long. So we sent, we were building the thing on the truck, and we sent. We were we were in Brooklyn uh, where we had our production office, uh, and we sent one of our guys down to Times Square with the measuring tape. I said, "Go and measure that spot that we have because if it's just." And he went down. We're just waiting for the phone call. Okay, we waiting for the call, and we were within one inch of those. Oh and, my. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I get strangely calm in those moments when you have no control over everything. That's the, that's well, all you do is pray. All you do is pray. That's it. That's all you can do because uh, yeah. <laughs> so I so I have a couple of questions. So now I, I we figured out how you were able to do this impossible feat, which I'm curious to see how many more movies are going to try to do this after you. Yeah, uh, but that's not your problem at this point. But uh, because it, you've already set the the uh, you're already unprecedented. So right. Uh, so. I always had this question for filmmakers, and since your film has been sold and it's being sold around the world, how do you deal with logos? How do you deal with pedestrians and people's faces and things like that in a public environment? And I think right. a lot of people 
would like to know that. I have my theories because I shot an entire movie at the Sundance Film Festival right, without, right. without anybody at the Sundance Film Festival knowing that I was doing it. Yeah. So I'm curious what you think. Uh, well, yeah, how, how you a big it. question. We had to get that sorted out ahead of time. We didn't want to make the movie and find out that we can't show it. You know, so we had to look into that. So um, so the first thing is the logos. So of course, Times Square is, is riddled with logos everywhere. Yeah. And, um, and, and the basic... We'll be right back after a word from our sponsor. And now back to the show. Uh, the basic rule of thumb is that <clears throat> if you show any kind of uh, branding or, or logo or anything like that, uh, in the way that it was intended to be shown or used, mm -hmm. then you're within safe grounds. Okay. So in other words, if, if, so if we're shooting at Times Square and there's Coca-Cola in the background on the, on the big, huge thing in Times Square and, and we just show it as it is, it's advertising Coke. Mm -hmm. uh, it's therefore advertising Coke in our movie in a sense, right? And so it, it's being used in the, in the intended form that it was designed for. So it's kind of like – If you start like, to mess around with it, then, then you can maybe get into trouble. You know? Right. There's another, another, there's a, yeah. There's so a the, second factor though. Okay. Well, real, sorry, quick, go ahead. Yeah, yeah. real quickly. So th what I always used to do and I always told people as well is like if you drink a bottle of – like a, there's a bottle of Coke in a scene with yeah. a bunch of actors in a house and you drink that Coke and you just talk and do everything, you're, you should be okay. Now, if there is a murder, you hit the somebody over the head with that bottle yeah. of Coke, that's right. a problem. Right. It, even if there's something really awkward going on in the scene, you yeah. might have a problem because you don't want a coke might not want to be involved with a yeah. threesome that's exactly. going on. Right. Because that, the, the coke bottle was not intended to be a weapon; it was intended to be, you know, that, and so yeah. that's, that's or it exactly didn't right. intend yeah. to be inside of a threesome. So yeah. there is, <laughs> but if you use it in the way it's intended, you're good. Yeah. Also, there's a secondary factor I read about, which was that. Um, in television advertising, you can run into trouble if if you show Coke in your film and Pepsi is sponsoring the show. Yes, yes. That's a conflict, and they don't want to have that. So then you can limit. Right? Uh, that's becoming, I think, less and less of an issue the way advertising works. But but yeah. it's like, uh, yeah, but that's something to consider. Yeah, that's now. Yeah, yeah, and then how about people and faces? There are scenes in the film where um, we actually wanted. You, you would typically hire a, a, an actor or an extra, depending on how, how big the thing was. And we actually wanted to use people uh, more than just sort of way off in the background kind of thing. And in those cases, we had our PA standing by with release forms. And if they were going to be featured sort of prominently doing something in the film, as opposed to just standing observing, then we would we would uh, get them to sign a release. And, and just it's just kind of just kind of to cover your butt. But generally speaking, if there's someone yeah. walking in the background of a scene. Yeah. Or in, in front of a camera, and it's kind of like walking behind a character. Right. You're kind of you're yeah. okay. It's totally okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. If and they say, and yeah. if they say a word, absolutely, you need a release. Yeah, and there was there's a scene in the film where where um, he has a big uh, there's a impromptu dance party, you know, in front of the thing just to keep the energy and it's this big salsa thing and it's a blast. We just roll people in for that, and 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 so they're actually performing in a way, you know. But but again, you get it's them to sign release. Yeah, it's so, so fast. It's so fascinating yeah. that you're doing this in Times Square. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's yeah, it it's great. it's pretty it's pretty fascinating. Now, what was the budget of your film? So the budget all in was about two fifty k, which is um, 
it's about, I would say it was the production was about two, I think it was 227 is the actual number. Sure. Uh, and then post-production, very tight, but I did a lot of the post-production I was going to say 25 grand yeah. is pretty cheap yeah, yeah. to do everything. A lot so. of, I did a lot of it myself um, and, and a small team, but we have 30 CGI shots in the film. We have uh, an amazing sound. We actually mixed it at one of the top sound uh, stages here in, in the city. We got an incredible deal there. Uh, and again, you just have to hustle to get the best deals you can get kind of thing. But, but a lot of it is just, just, it just takes, you know, blood, sweat and tears to do it. Yeah. Now, what are some of the struggles that you had to deal with in an uncontrollable environment? Because you had somewhat control of your specific area, but you really, it it is madness. It's you're, you're literally in the center of a, of a hurricane. You're in the eye of a storm. What are some of those uh, struggles that you have to deal with as a director, just trying to get your shots? I mean, you are up on a on a on a yeah. flatbed, but that I didn't know that part before I thought of the question. But it's still yeah. a thing. Yeah. Um, well, the schedule is always the toughest, right? Because I think you're you're having to. Um, there's a lot of film in this film, right? There's a lot of it's it's a lot of complex stuff happening. Um, it's, it's a very layered, detailed script, a lot of action, plot twist and, and everything. And, um, and it's, it's a very tight shooting schedule and you've got to stay on schedule and that's, that's all time is always your number one enemy. And so you've got to come in there being really, really highly organized. Everyone's got to, you've got to have a cohesive team, you know? So that was, that's always a struggle, but it was, it worked out pretty well here. Um, I would say, you know, I, I, I didn't, it was actually just really, it was a lot of fun to be honest with you. I mean, it was, it was, uh, the, the times square, the, the, the chaos is actually good for the film because that's well, real part of, it's part know? of the, it's part of the whole exactly. thing. That's the story. And so, uh, we, maybe weather was, you have to think about weather because, um, you know, we didn't have any cover weather covered, uh, opportunities really. So it was a bit of a, a gamble. However, I mitigated that by looking at the script and how we broke down the script in terms of the schedule so that every I made sure that every single scene uh, in the film was shot within one actual day, one half day, right, where the weather would be consistent within that half day. You don't want to shoot part of a scene one day and another, another, the other part of the scene a different day and therefore have completely radical weather. So in other words, whatever the weather was for that particular scene, it doesn't matter if it was good weather, bad weather, raining, not raining, it would be contained within the actual scene and it'd be, it would be consistent. And in fact, it only rained on one day and it was the perfect day because it was, it was day seven of the Wakeathon where he's really goes into this very deep, uh, depressive kind of soul searching uh, speech on the air. And we just had the raindrops on the glass and it was just, it was perfect, you know, so that was one bit of serendipity. Now, do you, do you, I mean, and I, I, again, on a much smaller scale, well, I mean, on a different scale, I did this with, with the Sundance Film Festival and there was, you know, tens of thousands of people and, and you kind of rolling yeah. around with it. The, the difference, uh, this is what I, I always say, and I'd love to hear what you say, is that when you're in an environment like that, you're in an uncontrollable environment, which is unlike normal filmmaking. In filmmaking, as a director, you need to control everything. You need to control mm-hmm. lights, actors, environment, everything completely. But when you're in an environment that you can't control, you you will lose your mind if you feel that you need to control everything. Right. You 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 won't survive. Right. So what I did is I I just kind of flowed with something mm. just showed up. It it now became part of the story or it became part of the scene. 
Um, yeah. And if it didn't work within the narrative I was trying to tell, I would adjust it or maybe pivot here or right. there because we were on time and we didn't have the time to do things and we were flowing so hard. Would you agree that's the kind of the way you went around it oh, as well? Yeah. And I think what you're talking about is um, is staying cool. You know, <laughs> it, you got you got to stay cool. That that's the key thing because filmmaking is problem solving, right? And right. it's it's uh, every problem that shows up is an opportunity to come up with a creative way to solve it. And and oftentimes it's a better thing that you wind up with. But you in your mind You've got to stay calm and you got to look at it as this, this is the job, right? This is, this is not, this is not an aberration of the, to the job. This is the job when you're, when you're doing this kind of filmmaking, that's what you sign up for. Right. And so you embrace it and you got to stay cool. And, and of course, if you got a crew and cast, they're looking to you as the director to, to maintain that tone where we we can solve this and we can make it work. So yeah, I, I, I think it was great. I mean, it's, it's, uh, it's, it's really you know, the, the hardest job was not mine. The hardest job is our actor, our lead actor, Francois is, Arnaud. Yeah. You know? So he, because he has to go nuts and lose his mind and expose himself emotionally in the middle of Times Square. Like, you know, it's, it's, it's this huge thing, you know? And uh, so it, it takes a lot of courage and uh, he's an amazing actor. So he, he, he said from the very beginning, you know, he was scared. This is a scary proposition to do. Of course. Him. And and that this being scared of it is what also the attraction because a, a great actor wants to be wants to live on the edge of his craft and, mm-hmm. and go for it and he went for it all the way kind of thing, you know. So, now what was yeah. what? How did you direct performance in an environment like that? Like as a director, how do you? Yeah. You know, again, in my scenario, it was it was really complex. Uh, I just again got to kind of roll and tr- you have to trust your actors implicitly in an environment like that because you don't have the ch- the opportunity to pull a Kubrick or a Fincher where you're taking 50 or 60 takes of the same thing and kind of like working out the nuances. That's not what this film, at least from what I'm seeing, was like. What, what, how did you do it? Actually, kind of, it, we didn't do 50 takes, but we did, you know, like those guys, but we did, you know, uh, on average, I would say four to six takes, I would but say. That's still, but that's still, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah of course. Kind of, it was reasonable. That's reasonable. Now, well, here, the, the first thing is, is the space itself, okay? So the set is a, is, it's a diamond shape, and it's about the equivalent of, of seven or eight square feet, okay? Now, it's so it's very tight. Now, initially, my thinking was that um, you'd have the actors in there with the camera operator. We'll be right back after a word from our sponsor. And now back to the show. And that's it. And then I would be outside on a monitor of some some type and with whatever else crews out there. Okay. The, as soon as we showed up there, I said, that's not going to work. The day one. I said, I've got to be in there with them. I've got to be, I've got to direct. I've got to, we've got to, it's got to be adjust. much quicker. Gotta, yeah. It's got to be, yeah, it's got to be exactly just going in and out of a door would oh. literally take up half the time. Okay. Yeah. So, um, so that, so then it became a question of, uh, it took blocking and staging to a whole new level because the, and that's the part I love the most about directing this film, which was just the actual physical movement of actors, uh, camera and me. And so every, and it was, it was kind of like, I called it the, the human Tetris directing it because it was like, you know, I would move this way, you move that way. Then I go this way, the camera goes here. We're, we're literally having to choreograph every single movement because there's just no room to move. And we're just dancing around each other for the whole shoot. 
And it was really a lot of fun. And then as soon as we said cut, boom, the doors would open, we get air pumped in there and it would just, people can, you know, just step outside for a second. And, and so that, so the directing was really, um, the, the, the number one job was, was the staging and blocking had to be worked out to the very, very fine level of detail. And that was a lot of fun. And then the second thing about that is that I, I insisted that the, that every scene looked different. I didn't want to, you know, I didn't want to just set a camera up. Some people would say, oh, you just set some GoPros up. You know, and right. just shoot it like and just shoot and just, that's it. Get the whole capture of the movie like that. I said, no, no, this is going to be a movie movie. This is going to be shot uh, if, as if we had flyaway walls kind of thing, but we don't, sure. right? So, um, so that's uh, so that was really important to be extremely. Um, uh, everything was was planned. Every shot, every camera movement, every actor movement, everything. And then you look at some ways to the more pl- like you're talking about your Sundance film. I mean, the more planned you are the more you can re- respond to accidents, things like that. Right. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's what happened here. We didn't, we didn't deviate from the script. <clears throat> There's very little ad living going on occasional thing here, but, but it was, it was, it was a very telecontrolled thing. The second thing is, is the, uh, the lens camera and lens choice is very important in lighting. Yeah. What'd you uh, shoot on? So we shot it in the red dragon, <clears throat> small camera, uh, small camera, package. small, small camera. It was all handheld. Uh, but more important than the camera was the lens, right? So in order to get to make the space work, it had to be on a very uh, wide angle lens. So the, the vast majority of the film was on an 18 millimeter uh, Zeiss, of, a vintage Zeiss uh, classic ca- lens. And it was the Mark III, which is a beautiful lens. 18 millimeters gives you a massive field of view, but it has very little distortion. So it doesn't look like a, you know, crazy weird fish. I think it was, it's a, it was a beautiful thing. And then, and then we, and we kind of stayed consistent with that. So the lens plotting was that if we're inside the booth shooting the characters, it was 18 millimeters. Anytime we switch the point of view where it's him looking out into Times Square, we would switch to an 85 millimeter. And that gives you a kind of, that kind of brings the people outside closer to you. Um, and then occasionally we would switch for a close up or two, maybe to a 35 or a 50 millimeter, very rarely. Uh, but that 18 millimeter lens, and then I wanted to shoot wide open. Okay. Meaning that, that a very, very shallow depth of field to give it a, a very cinematic creamy feel. Uh, so the combination of using a vintage lens in 6k with shooting wide open gives you that look now, but it becomes a big challenge for the camera operator. Uh, because, uh, and the focus pulling, because you have very shallow depth of field and you, you know, if you're off by an inch or two, you'll lose focus. And so he was basically doing his own focus, the, the, the DP who was also operating. Whereas, and the first AC would come in and do other things for setup, but he was literally, you know, had one hand on the lens and he's racking focus as, as, as That's we're moving around. It. It, yeah. It, it, it constantly mo- moving camera, you know, in this, in this tight space. So that was a lot of, I love the technical challenge of it. And the lighting we built into the set, you know, we, we put uh, Kino flows into the actual set, which is fantastic. Now you've, you've, now the movie has been released and it's been sold yeah. and it was sold to vertical if I'm not mistaken, right? So vertical entertainment picked up the, uh, North American distribution rights. Uh, last week they did a, a day and date theatrical release, 10 cities, mm-hmm. um, around the country, 10 major markets, and then simultaneous release uh, on all via major VOD platforms, cable on demand. And, uh, so that's happening right now. Anyone can get the film, Amazon, iTunes, Vudu, wherever. 
Um, and then we've sold the film overseas as well through a sales company. Yeah. And you're doing, and you're doing well overseas. I mean, financially, is it, the numbers are coming yeah. in. Are, are decent? The numbers are coming in. Numbers are coming in decent. We're still going. We still got another, uh, you know, every few months is the next market, whether it's con or AFM or AFM's AFM's coming. coming up. Yeah. Yep. AFM's then Berlin after that. And so, uh, yeah, it's, it's going, it's great. We've sold to Germany, South Korea, other places, Middle East. I mean, all and it's going to, and it's going, and because of the, you know, the star of the movie in a lot of ways is Times Square. Yeah, that's a big, so, you know, what the, and this is what the, uh, the sales company came on board for that. Really, they, they love the concept. It, it's, when you're looking at, I, I knew going in, you had to think of what, what is our distribution strategy going to be? You know, what, what is, who's going to buy this film or we'll see this film? And so I was really counting on two things. Um, because it's a high concept genre film, thriller, uh, that has more value overseas in foreign markets than, say, a, a straight comedy or a straight drama, mm -hmm. that kind of thing. So, so right away, um, that gives us some advantage. Um, and then secondly, um, for casting, uh, we cast uh, Francois Arnaud, who was the star of uh, The Borgias on Showtime, and uh, he just finished on uh, Midnight Texas on NBC, was the star mm -hmm. of that. And he has a, a very loyal fan base. He has like a very, you know, uh, <laughs> amazing passionate, fan passionate, base. Passionate, very passionate. passionate. This small but very passionate fan base around See, the I, world. I, yeah. I found that TV actors have yeah. a lot of times more yeah, yeah, yeah. Than, than movie yeah. star, like movie star yeah. actors because, of, because they're with them longer. There's yeah. more episodes. There's more connection. Exactly. That's a really good point. Yeah. And, and, you know, he's, he's just an amazing guy that everybody, they love him, you know, and, and, uh, they swoon over him and, 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 uh, and so I knew, you know, that was going to be our, our base for, for the, for VOD and for digital and things like that. Cause, and, and, and he's been great cause he's, he, you know, he's on his Instagram to his thousands, tens of thousands of followers and he's talking about it and they're can't wait to see it. And so that, that's been really, really, really good. And so like, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's, I mean, you, you, you've talked about this so many times on, on your podcast about finding and building your own audience, you know, and, mm -hmm. and, and to, to tap into his audience is, it was the kind of the key thing for us. So we'll see how that keeps going, but yeah, and so then, far so good. But having the location of New York Times Square, New York City's yeah. Times Square, internationally i have to believe yes. that is is it's a selling true. point right it's right on the poster you know the big lights and the, the neon and and uh exactly right exactly yeah i mean it's the same thing for, i mean for for my film sundance is park city is the star you know it is one of the yeah. stars of the film and people right. want That's to right. see that experience yeah. and to be there and, and that was very obviously strategic on my part to be able to do that yeah. as well so yeah, yeah. You have people to want to go there. People can't get there. They want to experience it through your film, right? So that that's what it is. Exactly. So uh, now I'm going to ask you a few questions. I ask all of my guests. What yeah. advice would you give a filmmaker wanting to break into the business today? Okay, um, I would say I would say it's two things. Um, one is is to is to do a lot. If I were starting again, you know, uh, uh, I would do more shorts. I okay. would do a lot. I would do a lot of a lot more. So I would just say keep doing a lot. But the second thing, and probably the most important, this certainly for me, this was the most important thing, is is to be ambitious, and not just not ambitious in terms of success or money or fame, but be ambitious in your filmmaking. Um, you know, 
yes, you can get some friends together and you can get a house and you can film in there and you can do uh, a lot of great things. Um, but I feel like every filmmaker should challenge themselves in some way to find w at least one thing <clears throat> in the film you want to do. Um, that's just hard, you know, it, it's <laughs> just as hard because if it's hard and you pull it off, it will, it'll pay dividends in so many ways, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, and so I say, be ambitious, try do something, come up with a story, come up with an idea, come up with a location, come up with something that's that if you could, if you can make it work, it will be great. And don't just take the easy path. It's never easy to make films, but challenge yourself in some way creatively so that it's, so when people see what you what you're doing, they're like, what? You tried that. It, even if, even if you don't totally succeed at it, doesn't you know, it, it doesn't matter. Exactly. You've, you've become a better filmmaker. You've become even stronger than you were before. So I, that's, that's what I would do. Definitely. Well, like I've, I've said, I've said this before in the past is all, all film, all filmmaking careers are forged in the failures that we have. We'll be right back after a word from our sponsor. And now back to the show. Yeah. And it's the truth. Like, you know, even if you don't, even if you yeah. don't succeed all the way, man, you aim for the, you aim from the, for the, with the sun and you land in the moon. Yeah. Most people <clears throat> I, don't even walk out of their house. <laughs> no. In fact, I, would, I take it a step further, which is that, that you actually have to fail. To, like, you actually, no, no, you have to, you have to, you have to like, fail and fail not, often, fail and yeah, fail often. Exactly. You get stronger and stronger and, and it's, you know, just no way around it. Definitely. Now, can you tell me what book had the biggest impact on your life or career? What book had the biggest impact? Is it film, filmmaking? No, it doesn't or, matter. Whatever book, either it's a, uh, a filmmaking <clears throat> book or another book. Okay. Um, okay. Let's, let's say, uh, I, <laughs> when I was a teenager as a birthday gift, I got uh, the history of Warner brothers, which oh, cool. was, uh, I mean, I and I was, I was, I became obsessed with Humphrey Bogart and these great, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, forties, you know, and I wore a fedora. I was the only kid who wore a fedora to high school. You, know, kind of, you, know. <laughs> you were very I, popular, I'm sure. Yeah. That's right, right. <laughs> and, um, I, I, uh, I became really obsessed with the history of film, uh, cinema history. And that was, that was way before I went to, to college and film school that had a huge impact on me. Um, I think a little later on, um, I, I, Sidney Lumet's book on directing is, oh, is, on directing. is oh. essential. It's so essential. Yeah. A good book. Uh, it's so good. It's so good on so many levels. Yeah. Uh, uh, uh that, that had a big impact on me. Um, uh, I read, uh, novels, uh, there's a, a, my favorite novel is a novel called, uh, soldier of the great war by Mark Helprin, which is this epic, beautiful, it's about beauty. And, um, in this grand scale that, that was, that had a huge impact on me. All right. Uh, yeah, that's good. Now, what is the lesson that took you the longest to learn, whether in the film business or in life? The long, the hardest lesson, um, <clears throat> Ego. <laughs> oh, my friend, you're, yeah, you're, ta yeah. you're tapping into something I talk yeah. about on a daily basis. Oh, yeah, yeah, definitely. That's that's the albatross. You know, when I was younger as a teenager and into my 20s, I was like, oh, oh yeah, I'm going to be six. I'm going to have this oh. is going to happen. That's going to happen. And 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 uh, and uh, I'm just waiting for the phone turn. They're going to, you know, Spielberg's going to call me and say, come on, you're the best. You know, gonna, and I have <laughs> nothing to show for it. 
You know, why would they, but, why would, but, why your, would but, but inside like, your own yeah. mind, you were huge. You're a legend in yeah. your own mind. Sir. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> and it was, it was soul crushing when I actually realized I can't they weren't calling. Like, but it's like I'm not even close to where I want to be. I'm not even. I'm not even like in the ballpark. I can't even PA on a Spielberg set. No, exactly. <laughs> exactly. I can't even intern. It's, it's, like, it's like what am I? You know, and and it's kind of like. Uh, so that was a bit. And then when I went to England, going back now, going back now to the beginning, you know, the the script. My mentor, his name is Bart Gavigan, an amazing guy. Um, he he just introduced to me the whole concept of service, you know, that, mm-hmm. that the opposite of ego is serving, right? You have to serve other people's needs. And I thought, and, and he presented the idea of, of screenwriting and filmmaking as a, as a service profession where you're actually serving the audience. Yes. You know? you're, you're actually serving their needs, their, their mm-hmm. need to have stories told, their need to learn about life, their need to have an emotional experience. It's, it's, if you see yourself as a servant, you know, humbly, um, that transformed my writing. It transformed how I direct. It transformed mm-hmm. how I, how I, how I deal with crew and cast. And, and it's like, it's like, I'm not the guy in charge. I'm, I'm your, I'm here to serve, you know, and the more you serve, the better leader you become. Yes. You know? And, and, uh, and so that took me a while to, to figure that out. And, uh, and I'm glad I learned that lesson. Yeah. Preach, preach, my friend, preach. <laughs> <laughs> I'm in the middle of the book, uh, ego is the enemy by Ryan holiday. Uh-huh. Right, right. I read, it, I read, the, obst- yeah, the obstacle is the way was his first one. And then ego right. is the enemy. And then now I think his stillness is the way is this third one mm. coming out soon. It's a trilogy of his books on stoic oh, philosophy and oh, it's yeah, yeah. so, oh, it's, those books are amazing. Um, yeah. now what is the biggest fear you had to overcome with making this film? Okay. The biggest fear is that it's not going to be as good as it is in my head. Right. I mean, well, that's, that's every, that's every filmmaker's every, fear. Yeah. But th- I was more so in this case, it was more, I think with the other film, like the, the first one doing accountant, that was, if I failed, it was like, well, I'm learning how to do this. And it was, you know, um, right. uh, with the million colors, colors of heaven, South Africa, it was, it was so big. And, and I was at the mercy of other people, you know? And so if it didn't work, I, there was other, there's, could, I could explain it away, you know, but in mm-hmm. this case, rapid eye movement it's 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 no it's and, and that was uh but again you just embrace it and whatever happens happens you know so yeah and three of your favorite films of all time ah number one lawrence of arabia okay by, by far number one um uh number two which was a big influence on this movie is hitchcock's rear window yeah. rear with the self-contained that, that was the inspiration self-contained a thriller, you know, with a lot of humor. And by the way, the rapid eye movement has a ton of humor because it's, it's, uh, as he gets into day three, day four, day five of this sleep deprivation, you just start to lose your mind and the behavior becomes more and more erratic. And he does mm-hmm. create, he starts to hallucinate bizarre things and the way he reacts to it, the way he deals it. And it's really, and that was Hitchcock. What I learned from Hitchcock is the, 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 the nexus of suspense and humor. Um, which you don't see that much of these days. You should have more uh, of it because it's a great exactly, combination. Yeah. It's a wonderful exactly. combination. Yeah, totally, totally. And it's, I mean, and like it's get, dark. Get and it's dark. Yeah, it's like dark humor too. Yeah, like yeah. get out. Exactly. Yeah, get out. Has- up, exactly. Um, and so a rear window. Uh, and in fact, this is a funny memory. When I was 13 trying to make movies, I said, I'm going to mount a remake of Rear Window in my 
backyard. And Why we tried to build an entire front of a, we had, my parents, we had just recited our house. We had all this old siding. I said, let's, let's build this into a huge apartment building, the front of an apartment. It didn't work at all. <laughs> but you learned something, uh, I'm sure. I learned, yeah, exactly. Uh, and third, I would pick, um, I would have to pick at least one Spielberg. Um, so, and that could change on any Ooh, given day. So sure. I, I'll go Ooh, with, uh, I'll, I'll go with Raiders of the Lost Ark right now, you know, but that, that could change tomorrow. Yeah. Like I'm trying to think like, what would be my favorite Spielberg movie? Like, I think, God, man, yeah. I, it's like, it's so like Jaws never, never gets. Yeah. Old. Jaws. All, you know, because Raiders. Jaws. Yeah. Last. I sometimes it's Jaws. Jaws is perfect. You know, no, Jaws There's is just perfection. Yeah. That's just perfection. I don't know if you've seen these, these guys that, that are on YouTube that do analysis of Spielberg's, um, directing. I'm, sh- and, I'm sure and I've seen are, it. It's, oh, this is incredible. But Jaws is the, when you actually hear what he was, it's, it's maddening because it's like, uh, he was 28 when he made this perfect thing. Like, oh, it's, it's like half depressing, half inspiring. Kind of, oh you know. no, that movie. Oh yeah. We could, we, that's yeah. a whole other episode. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh, now where can people find you and, uh, more, uh, and where they can, they find rapid eye movement? Yes, that'd be great. I, uh, Rapid Eye Movement is available pretty much on every VOD platform: iTunes, Amazon, Vudu, um, Google, uh, yeah. yeah, Google Plus, yeah, or Google Play, yeah, definitely. Uh, they can get me peterbishai.com is my mm-hmm. filmmaker website. They can contact me there. I would love to hear from anybody and talk Careful more. what you wish. Where for what you wish for? Bring it on. Careful what you wish for. I've. Is that your experience? Yeah. I've uh, I've had I've had I've had other guests. They said the same thing. I've had other guests put their emails on on the show. Oh, yeah, I'm yeah, like, yeah. don't don't. Do, I'm just yeah, just, yeah, be ca- true, yeah. <laughs> just be careful. And they right, just call right, me right, back right. weeks after the podcast gets released. Like Alex, stop. I'm like, hey, it's you. It's on you, man. Yeah, yeah. yeah You're yeah. the one that right. said it. It's on you. So if, if that's the All case, right. like yourself. I'll, I'll send them your way if it gets too too much. No, 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 no. I listen, Peter. It's been an absolute pleasure talking to you. Yeah, thank you. I mean, it's interesting to see. You know, I really wanted to go into how to shoot in an impossible location and how to shoot in an impossible scenario and, and shooting in Times Square is pretty much the definition of that. So I really wanted to get in to see yeah, how right. you did it, but it is <laughs> an inspiring story and it does, I hope everyone listening really gets the idea of that audacity right. is something that is a very powerful tool in filmmakers. Like if you just would want to do something so like crazy, yeah. like shoot a movie in Times Square or shoot a movie at the Sundance Film Festival while the Sundance Film Festival is going on with nobody understanding what's going right, on. Right, right. That audacity got me my crew because they're like, yeah. I, I kind of want to see what how that that turns out. Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. And same thing, I'm sure there was a lot of people who signed up for it. They're like, I just want to see how you do this. Yeah, exactly. And that's a great feeling. I've had that feeling many times in my career. Uh, you know, almost, almost all my projects, I try to do something that's a little bit just like, this is crazy. Yeah. It's crazy. Crazy, but if you organize, organize chaos yeah. is, is fantastic. Yeah. So thanks again for being on the show, brother. I appreciate it. My pleasure. It. Thank you so much. It's great talking to you. I want to thank Peter for coming on the show and dropping amazing knowledge bombs on the tribe today. If you want to get links to anything we spoke about in this episode and check out his movie, Rapid Eye Movement, to see how he did what he did, head over to the show notes at bulletproofscreenwriting.tv forward slash 261. Thank you so much for listening, guys. As always. Keep on writing, no matter what. I'll talk to you soon. Thanks for listening to the Bulletproof Screenwriting Podcast at BulletproofScreenwriting.tv. 